sitting here, I remember the old uh, ketchup commercial, anticipation, <laughs> sitting there watching the watching the clock go down. But uh, how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Thank you for being with us online tonight. And if you have a need, please comment. We want to pray with you as well. Um, still several in the church family that need a touch from the Lord, quite a few that are battling with some illnesses. And, and if you have tuned in or heard anything, uh, the flu has really made a, uh, a, a pretty impactful, uh, uh, made itself known, I should say it like that. Um, so we just want to pray um, for those that are battling with some sickness. And uh, again, during this holiday season, again, we have the festivities and we have the joy, but a lot of people struggle during this time. So let's just pray that through it all, um, that uh, people will see the light of Christmas and understand what it's all about. Let's just pray. Father, tonight we are, again, eternally grateful to be able to come together and study your word. I thank you, uh, Lord, for this season. Uh, Lord, when the light has come, the true light, as John said. I pray, Father, as we open up tonight, we do so, again, with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us, the, the blessings and the benefits that you give to us. Lord, thank you for times past when you've always been there to uh, deliver and to console and to uh, provide, and I just pray every hand that went up in the building tonight that just, uh, Lord, signifies a need. I pray, God, that whatever that need is, that you will uh, that you will touch, that you will bring healing, bring deliverance, bring encouragement. Father, for those that are battling with some sickness and disease tonight uh, and infirmities, Lord, I pray, God, that you would touch them with your healing hand. Uh, Lord, as uh, there, there's some having procedures done over the next couple of days, Lord, I pray that your hand would be uh, with those that are uh, operating and doing those things. Lord, I pray that you would just give guidance and do what only you can, bring that complete restoration. Be with all the ministries on campus tonight, Lord, and during this time of year, I pray again, especially that we uh, would just shine the light of Christ in the hopeless world that we live in. Lord, be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen, amen. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. Um, Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and while you're turning there, just a couple of announcements. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow is our last food distribution day of the year. Uh, we'll be at the Yellow Jacket Stadium uh, tomorrow, and uh, I, I know it serves a big need. We, we have people that start calling on Monday. Y'all still doing that, and it's every month. We've been doing it every month for almost, uh, almost three years, and we still get the phone calls, and again, it shows you that the need is is really pressing, and so we'll do that tomorrow at Yellow Jacket Stadium. Also, don't forget Sunday is our, we're doing a baptism service at the end of our 1045, so if you know someone that needs to be baptized, uh, have them bring a change of clothes on Sunday, and at the end of the service, uh, we will baptize. I know we have uh, several that are going to be baptized uh, that have indicated they're going to be baptized on Sunday, and so we want to do that, and then also on Sunday, um, uh, we are going to have a ballot box at the hub, and uh, uh, there is a uh, resolution uh, on on the table to sell 301 North Ridgeway, which is the uh, what we have called the Hope House. It is a building that we have owned for a few years, and uh, we attempted to use it for a daycare facility, just not feasible. Uh, it's become... Uh, quite expensive to keep it up, and and with no use for it, uh, the board had uh, made the motion to 
sell and it needs to be ratified. So there will be a yes or no, the ballot box will be out there for all the members to vote on Sunday. And uh, we do have a contract waiting uh, should that pass uh, for us to be able to sell. So it's a good thing. Uh, and, you know, we ran hugs out of there for a number of years. Uh, and that was good. We did some art classes out of there, and we've done, done some veteran services out of there. But again, it's just an asset that sits there. Uh, and, you know, if you're not using an asset, uh, it tends to drain, uh, again, it, the deterioration of the building by not being utilized. So um, anyway, that's going to happen on Sunday as well. So I uh, appreciate your attentiveness to that. And members, if you would uh, please help us out, vote. Uh, yes or no is the, is the correct way to vote. Not yes and no, but yes or, <laughs> or no. Um, so anyway, uh, let's get it right into, oh, and, and by the way, we have posted the Christmas schedule uh, just so that you will know that if you've not seen it yet. It's online, uh, and I don't know it to go out in the announcements, but we will have, uh, we, we will have um, a Christmas Eve service, and we will have a Christmas morning service. The Christmas Eve service is at 5, uh, and then the morning service is 10. It will just be a 10 o'clock service in here, um, and uh, we want to do that to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's his, his day, and it's not often that Christmas falls on a Sunday. I, I, somebody asked me the other day, I said, I know it's happened. I just, since I've been here a couple times, I just don't remember the last time it happened. Um, so anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Um, uh, you, this is a familiar uh, song, What Child Is This?, uh, but I'm not going to sing it to you, um, and we all said amen on that one, but uh, I do want to answer the question tonight as we, again, are in the Christmas season, we try to do everything, uh, you know, Christmas, and uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, beginning verse, we'll, we'll, we'll read 1 through 3, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the world, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It goes on in verse 4, I like it, it says, having become so much better. See, that's why I like Hebrews, it always talks about something better. It's become so much better than the angels, and has, uh, and as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, as we get right into it, again, the next few weeks we'll be talking about things Christmas. Uh, Sunday I'll be preaching a message entitled, The Light Has Come. Um, and I'll use a text I've never really preached specifically from, um, but, uh, you know, as much as we all love Christmas, I think most of us here would probably agree that Christmas is also, uh, and it has become, unfortunately, a polarizing season. Uh, it has become a polar, you know, how often, I mean, think about how often do we see battles raging over manger scenes that are uh, put up, I mean, and not, maybe not so much anymore because I think the Supreme Court has, has weighed in on it, but I can remember several years ago when that seemed to be the the topic of conversation uh, at this time of year about putting uh, the nativity scenes on public property. You know, it's just, again, a very polarizing thing. Uh, or, or how about this one? How about saying Merry Christmas instead of the ubiquitous uh, Happy Holidays? 
you know, and even I, I never got into the happy holidays. I don't have a problem with happy holidays. I want them to be happy holidays. But this time of year, I always say Merry Christmas. So if somebody, I mean, it was always my response. If somebody said Happy Holidays, I'd say Merry Christmas back to them. And then they can deal with it however they want to deal with it. Uh, but, again, that just kind of goes to the point that Christmas, as from a Christian standpoint, is celebrated a lot different than Christian from uh, Christmas from a non-Christian. I mean, think about it. Every year, more and more people get offended by what was once considered innocent displays of Christmas cheer. You know, uh, we, we, we are, wear our feelings on our shoulder and get offended at every little thing. The truth is, some pe- here's the truth. Some people are unhappy with Christmas simply because they don't want nothing to do with Jesus. They just, they, they don't. They want anything to do with Jesus. They, they've heard enough. They've seen enough. And kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, they're ready to say, bah humbug to the baby who sleeps in heavenly places and that lies in a manger. They, they don't want anything to do with him. You know, some people just don't get excited about Christmas, the Christmas story anymore. And, as, and again, as much as we hate to hear that, because I think it's a beautiful story. I think everything, I, as you saw in the illustrated sermon on Sunday, every one of those characters was put in place before the foundation of the world by God. He ordained for such a time as that. And it's an amazing story to look at it. But again, uh, people being unhappy with Christmas, that's not a new phenomenon. I mean, you think about it. The first Christmas was filled with a lot of indifference, right? A lot of indifference. There was a lot of unbelief. And then there was outright hostility. I mean, you got Herod who, who attempts to kill the baby boys because he's trying to wipe out his, uh, his competition. So the Christmas story has always been polarizing. It has always brought a time of indifference and unbelief and, and even outright hostility yeah, you know, and for many people, Jesus is just a figurine. You know, he's a figurine, a piece of a piece of a set that we display. I love nativity sets. I uh, I try to collect some. You know, if I get to travel somewhere and and they have them, I, I love nativity sets. But for a lot of people, Jesus is a figurine in a in a in a set that we display at Christmas. And a lot of people fail to see the miracle uh, in his birth. And so we, you know, we have to ask that question: Who? is the baby in the manger. Who is this child? What child is this? What was significant about him that he caused such a dis, that he disrupted the norms, cultural norms of his day, and even 2,000 years later, he continues to disrupt the culture of our time. Now, if I ask that question, what child is this, or who is that baby in the manger, every one of us here, and, and probably online as well, would probably have a pretty accurate description of who he is. We could, we could define that. We could say who he is, but I would take that a step further and say, who is he right now to us? Who is he right now? It's one thing to talk uh, the theoretical of who he is. It's another thing to say who he is right now in our own lives. You know, Jesus one time asked his disciples about his identity. Remember, he said, hey, who do, who do people say that I am? And you know what they did? They gave him a few opinions as to who people thought he was. Some say Elijah and some say Elijah, you know, and, and on and on it goes. There's still people today that have opinions about the identity of Jesus. So, so I want to wade through all the opinions and the rhetoric of surrounding, surrounding that baby in a manger, and I want us to go to what the Bible says. Who does the Bible say that baby, what child is this? What does the Bible say about that child in a manger? You know, the Bible categorically declares that Jesus Christ is 
God. Doesn't mince words about it. You know, and to disagree with that statement is to disagree with God himself. He is fully God, and that's what the Bible declares. Now, there are many verses that we could use, and we would be here all night because, I mean, again, the first messianic promise was given in Genesis 3.15, and all through the Old Testament, concealed in the Old, revealed in the New, every you have references to Jesus all through. 333 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that point to his coming, specific prophecies. Then you have those that, that allude to or infer his appearing. So, again, the Bible is very clear. We could pick many verses, but I chose this one out of Hebrews because uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us a sevenfold description of who Jesus really is. Now, here's what he says. Again, I'll read it. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance. I love this version. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's what he said. That's who he is. So, so let's unpack that. Again, the writer in our text gives us seven, a sevenfold description of who that baby is. Number one, he is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. Again, verse 2, whom he appointed heir of all things. What is it saying? It's saying God has appointed Jesus Christ as heir of all things. And now, now, I think most of us understand what an heir is, right? We understand an heir. When my, when my father passed away in 2012, I, I was named in his will, uh, as were my siblings. And, and I have some of my dad's belongings at my house right now because uh, I was an heir. I was an heir to what he possessed, and when he passed on, uh, things passed to the heirs listed or named in the, in the will. When my children die, I, it's not when when I die. <laughs> let me get let me back up and get that right. When I when I die, my children are named in my will, and they will receive all that I have. In fact, I I joke with them all the time. I said, "Listen, you better not throw anything of mine away." Because I've spent your inheritance, and it's all contained in collectibles. <laughs> I have oil cans. I have, I have uh, 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 what do you call that, uh, the signs. I have the uh, uh, porcelain signs. I've got a 54 gas pump. I, I, I said, it's, you better not. i got some sports stuff. And, you know, I just I, I have no rhyme or reason for what I collect. I just collect it. And I said, you better not. I've got some signs that... Uh, uh, and coins that I used to be a coin collector when I was in the military. And I said, you better not because I spend every bit of your inheritance and it's in these things. But you know what? My kids, you know, and they would come into the office. And if you've ever been in my office, you know, it's, I, I tell everybody it's a working man's office because there are books and books and books and books. And then there's stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. And I said, when I die, you get to handle all this. You get to figure out what to do with it. Why? Because they're my heir. They're my heirs. They, they're named in my will. And so to say that Jesus is the heir of all things means that God has given to him every single thing. The deepest oceans, the, star, the stars in the sky that, you know, that fill the sky, the highest mountains, the lowest valleys, they, it all belongs to him. The psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
It all belongs to him. Uh, and again, I know right now, maybe looking at what's happening in our world, we think, man, it, it, it doesn't seem like it belongs to, to, to Jesus. But you know what? Satan is a squatter who illegally claims the earth as his domain, but it still belongs to Jesus. And in the end, Satan will be overthrown. Jesus will be installed as the rightful king of the universe. Uh, and, and when we come to the end of everything, Jesus is there. So, so right now, it may not appear that, you know, it might appear that Satan is winning, but Jesus has already won without question. You know, as Isaac Watts put it in his great hymn written in 1719, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run, his kingdom spread from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. He will reign forever and ever. Who is that baby? What child is this? He is the heir of all things. Secondly, he is the creator of the universe. The writer of Hebrews says, through whom he made the universe. He made the universe. Listen, we're not a product of some primordial soup where a cell got together and decided to crawl out on, the, on, on, the, on, on prehistoric times and grow legs and tails and swing through the air. We're not products of that. Jesus is the agent of creation and the Lord of all the epochs of history. And, and here's the thing. There's only two choices that a person can make regarding the universe. Only two choices. Either you believe that everything is the result of infinite time plus blind chance, or you believe that the universe is the result of God's divine design. I still go back to the time when I taught the youth Sunday school class over there one time, and I held up a jar and a watch, and I said, if I broke this watch down to all of its working components, put it in that jar, how long would I have to shake that jar for that thing to come out of function and watch? And they looked at me like, that. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. I said, exactly. Exactly. And yet that's what we're taught to believe is that through millions of years and blind chance, we just somehow all came out functioning, complex beings. But the Bible says he is the creator of the universe. God the Father delegated to his son the work of bringing the universe into existence. And, and, and nothing was made, the Bible says, except through him. He's the agent of creation, the heir of all things. What does it mean? It means he was there at the beginning, and you know what? He'll be there at the end. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. He is the Lord of everything in between. So truly, he is the alpha, and he is the, the omega. You know, and, and without giving a lot of science stuff tonight, I, I enjoy this kind of stuff. I, some of you might remember many years ago, I taught through the first 11 books of Genesis. And I used a lot of source material from Dr. Carl Ball at the Creation Museum in Glenrose. Fascinating place. Um, but, I mean, think about this. The evidence of, of Jesus is in, in, in creation is undeniable. In fact, you have to really close your eyes in order not to see him. That's why atheism is the, really the most unnatural philosophy in the world. Because the Bible says we're made in his image. And deep within, we have a desire to know God. All of creation attests to God. So one would have to deliberately suppress and reject the truth in order to become an atheist. Most unnatural uh, position there is today. Not only is he the creator of the universe, he is also the author and creator of life. That's why we are pro-life. God is life. He's for life. He says, I, you choose life, not death. He formed us. He created us individually. I mean, think about how amazing our bodies are. You know, I, I kind of joke, and, you know, as we 
get older, our bodies break down, and, you know, I, I'm at that stage. I, I joke all the time, what don't hurt, don't work. And, you know, and I'm, I'm coming to grips with that. I think that's the biggest challenge, and, and some of you that are older than me probably could shed some light. That's the biggest challenge, getting older and, and, and not being able to do what you could do two, three years ago. You know, for me, that's a big struggle, coming up with, to my own mortality. I mean, think about just the blood, just the blood. You know, the blood flows into the right side of the heart, and then it goes into the lungs where it deposits carbon dioxide and picks up oxygen. And then it flows back into the left side of the heart and then out to the various parts of the body to nurse the body. The average adult human heart beats 72 times per minute. Think about that. So in one day, the average heart beats over 100,000 times. In one year, the heart beats almost 38 million times. And by the time a person is 70 years old, it has beat 2.5 billion times. An average heart pumps 1.3 gallons per minute. In other words, it pumps 1,900 gallons per day, almost 700,000 gallons per year, or 48 million gallons by the time someone is 70 years old. That's not bad for a 10-ounce pump. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and what child is this? He is the creator of the universe. I mean, again, this just scratches the surface of how it works. And to think that there are people that just kind of ran, think we just randomly came together with the complexities of our bodies. It's just astounding to me. I mean, how can anyone just look at the complexity of the human body and think there wasn't a divine designer that put it all together? That's who that child is. Number three, he is the radiance of God's glory. Verse number three says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Now, the word for radiance, I like this word. It is used for sunlight streaming from the sun. And so basically what he's trying to say is that Jesus Christ is the blazing radiance of the glory of God. So what sunlight is to the sun, Jesus is to God. That's kind of the analogy that he's using there. It would be easier to try and separate sunlight from the sun than it is to separate the sun from God. That's who he is. And, and so if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That's it. Look at Jesus. He, he's not some grimy, blurry image of God. He isn't the sun peeking through the clouds type vision of God. He is the blazing, magnificent revelation of God himself. Jesus is the clear picture of God. What did, what did Jesus say? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. He is the uh, again, he radiates the glory of God. The theologians call this the co-essential co with the Father. That means that the Father and the Son share the same essence. The Father is God and the Son is God. What child is this? He is the radiance of God's glory. Number four, he is the exact representation of God's nature. The exact representation. You know, one of the things, I, I, I do, again, going back to some of my collectibles, I enjoy uh, I enjoy the old uh, advertising from the 30s, 40s, um, and, and one of the reasons I enjoy that, and, and, and uh, in fact, I've got a, somebody in the church um, gave me a, 
a magazine. I forget the name of it now, but it's a it's a colored magazine. It's in a sleeve now, but it's from 1932. And I, I was just fascinated looking at that thing. And what fascinates me is the graphics. You know, they didn't have computers back then. And, and like the signs and the advertising that they did, uh, it was all hand done. And, and to me, it just boggles my mind, the creativity and how they did all of that stuff. Because today we can't even, I mean, we can't even add 2 plus 2 without a computer. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we laugh about it, but I mean, it's the truth, right? And, and so I, I love that stuff. And, but here's the thing, anytime you got something going on that's good, there's always going to be people that try to take advantage. And so now if you, uh, you know, I've had to learn, in fact, I learned the hard way, but when you want to purchase maybe something that's uh, vintage, be careful with the word vintage. Uh, when you start looking at things maybe on a, uh, an auction site or an eBay site, you got to watch because they'll say vintage-like. See, they've come up with technology now that they can actually reproduce something that is vintage or antiquated, and they can even make it distressed, look distressed, like it would have been had it aged for 80 or 100 years. It's, it, it's incredible. But if I'm after something, I want, I, want, I, I, want, I want the real McCoy. Does that make sense? See, that's what he says here. Who is the, what child is this? He is the exact representation of God's nature. That's verse number three the exact representation of his being. The, the phrase exact representation comes from the Greek word character. That's where we get our word character. Jesus shares the character of God. This word, so the word, the origin of the word, it was used for the impression made by an engraving tool when it was stamped uh, into metal to make a coin. That, that's kind of the idea there. The image on the coin was the exact image on the engraving tool that was pressed. That's, what, that's who that child is. He's the exact representation. Jesus is stamped with the image of God. Uh, I can't ever say his name, Saint uh, Anathesis. Here's what he said. He said, Jesus whom I know as my redeemer cannot be less than God. End quote, and that's the truth. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. These two expressions right here, if we didn't have enough to talk about who Jesus is and what child that is, this would be enough right there to occupy conversation. It's a powerful statement of his full deity. You know, he, he, he wasn't a man who elevated to become God. He was fully man and fully God. Paul said, that he set aside his divine prerogatives and he came and took upon the form of human flesh. He became one of us to do for us what we could not do ourselves. That's who that child was. Again, theologians call, uh, you know, when they look at this, they refer to Jesus as the only begotten. Now, what does that phrase mean, the only begotten? Well, it means one and only. The one and only. We can truly say that not only is Jesus the Son of God, he is also God the Son. And when we see Jesus Christ, we have seen as much of God as it is possible for us to see. That's why Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's, what, that, that's who that child is. Again, he's not just some figurine that we put up. And again, I have, I have some sets, that uh, nativity sets, where he is an individual figurine. And every year at the end of Christmas, I'll wrap him up and I'll put him up with the rest of the set. 
and I bring him out, put him on the mantle uh, at Christmas time, and and put him back in the manger. Uh, and, but but he's so much more than that. He's the exact representation of God. If you want to know God, know Jesus. You know, I go back to 9-11, and I've said this before. You know, right after 9-11 happened, of course, churches filled up. You know, we had a prayer meeting that night. Uh, you know, people started uh, waxing religious, if you will. And, and I've made this statement before. All over the country, you, you heard people say, God bless you. I mean, again, think back to that time, you know, and it really wasn't so long ago, you know, where you had people, God bless you. They hung signs, God bless you, and you saw the flags flying. And, again, I'm not, I'm not jumping on a bandwagon. I'm just saying you saw the patriotism and the unity and people saying God bless you. But I, as I've often said, you know, one thing that was noticeably missing through all of that, Jesus wasn't anywhere to be found. See, a lot, of, a lot of people didn't have any issue with God. God is this theoretical concept of some, some, some figure out in the, in the cosmos. But when you start talking about Jesus, he became one of us. So now you've got to talk about someone who's just like us. And if you recognize Jesus and his full deity, then you recognize to whom you must give an account. And a lot of people didn't want to do that. You know, they were okay talking about God. They were okay talking about this, uh, this being that was somewhere out there. And most people felt like God had somehow wound up the universe, you know, at the beginning, wound it up, and then let it go. And it's just going to continue going around until it runs out of steam. But they don't want to talk about Jesus. But the Bible says he is the exact representation of God. So number five, not only is that, that's who that baby is. So number five, he is the sustainer of all things. Again, this goes back to the creation. He's the creator of the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature, and he is the sustainer of all things. That's verse number three, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, some years ago, uh, when the United States launched the space station, one of the reasons they launched the space station is they wanted to they wanted to define they wanted to try and define gravity. And they probably they spent trillions, you know, just like they do. I, I saw a study one time where they were spending I think it was like uh, 1.5 million dollars to study the flow of ketchup. Worthy cause 1.5 million dollars of taxpayer money. But they put this space shuttle, the space station up there, one of the, one of the things that they wanted to accomplish was to define gravity. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us, we know what gravity is, right? I mean, we fight it <laughs> as we age. Uh, you know, our shoulders slump, our, you know, our bodies. Uh, you know, we, in our 20s, we're, we're six foot tall. By the time we're 60, you know, we're 5'9". I know I'm being a little facetious, but I mean, but you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, we just, you know, gravity. If I if I were to step off here and come say hi to John, I, I would tumble down there because gravity is, is one of those laws. You know, we know what gra we we know what gravity is. We have known it for hundreds of years. We just don't know how it works, and we really don't know where it comes from. Again, we, we have no idea. I mean, there's this vast movement in, society, in science today seeking to discover what holds the universe together because they have not been able to answer it. Big Bang Theory doesn't do that because right now 
scientists are seeing through some of these technologies and the telescopes and things they have going on right now, they're finding, uh, they're seeing the universe do the exact opposite of what they thought it was doing. So, so there are people today that are trying to find out what's the glue that holds the universe together. What is the power behind the power? I mean, is it like Star Wars? May the force be with you? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, or was it was Spock doing his thing? <laughs> you know, was it some vulcanized power? What is the power behind the power? Well, our text makes it clear: it's not a what, but a who. It's not a what; it's a who. What makes the universe hold together? Jesus does. Jesus does. By, the Bible says that Christ is the power behind the power. He holds the universe in place by his powerful word is what Hebrew says. And, and the thing is, note that it's present tense. It's present tense. So what does that mean? It means that right now, I don't even know what the day is, but on this Wednesday, <laughs> December 7th. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pearl Harbor Day. How can I forget that? So, so right now, what this means, on, on December the 7th, 2022, that Jesus is sustaining the whole universe right now. It's a, it's, a, it's a present tense statement that he's holding all things together by his powerful word right now. All things hold together in him, for him, and by him. His power is greater than any force that we can imagine. His might is mightier than any might, uh, than the might of almighty men on earth. There's none like him. There's no force greater. If Star Wars had the force, it wouldn't be anything in comparison to who he is. I mean, think of it. This may be a little morbid, but think of it like this. If Jesus were to say the word, the earth would be no more. I mean, that, that's, how, that's who he is. Just utter his word. You say, well, now, wait a minute. Well, go back to Genesis. How did he do what we, how, how did all this come about? Let there be. And what did the Bible say? And it was so. Let there be, and it was. So all we'd have to do is utter one word, and the earth would be no more. Just one word and we would all perish. Again, maybe this is a silly statement, but if, if, I, if Jesus stopped thinking about me, I'd cease to exist. Because he holds it all together by his powerful word. We owe our neck. Isn't it interesting that atheists want to deny, deny God, but yet we owe our next breath to the fact that he's thinking about us? I mean, think, put, put that in perspective. Even people who don't serve him owe their next breath to him because he's thinking about them. That's incredible. Again, he holds it all together with his powerful word. He sustains us so that we can breathe. Without him, we, couldn't, we, we could not be, again, we couldn't be, we couldn't be here. We couldn't breathe. I tell you. I say all the time, uh, you know, a lot of people are benefiting from the goodness of the Lord without ever, ever, ever acknowledging the goodness of the Lord. Because without him, we'd all turn blue and die in just a few seconds. He holds it all together. Again, it's ironic to consider that even atheists must use the power he provides at the same time denying his very existence. 
That's who that baby is in the manger. What child is this? What child is this? He holds all things together by his powerful word. He's the nucleus of creation and the glue of the galaxies. So all these scientists and astronomers and astrologists and all these other uh, astrophysicists and all these other people are going to they're going to keep digging and looking and trying to find the glue that holds the universe together. You and I, you know what? I don't have a, uh, a, a I'm not a physicist. I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not any of that stuff. But I know who I know what the glue is. It's that baby that was in a manger. That's who he is. Number five. Or excuse me, number six, he is our Savior. Hebrews 1.3 says, after he had provided purification for sins. I love the King James Version on that particular verse because it adds the words, by himself. <laughs> he, provided, he provided purification for our sin all by himself. Didn't need my help. Didn't need our help. He did it all on his own. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the propitiation of our sin. He was the one who provided eternal life. Notice again the tense of that, that statement there. He had provided. You see that? Had provided. Not will provide. Not is providing. He had provided. What does that mean? He died once for all time. There, there's, no, there's no more requirement for another sacrifice. He died one time for all time. His death on the cross was the complete payment for our sins. That's why I cried out, it is finished. The work was already done. He purged us from our sins. I mean, think about it. I was dirty. He was clean. He became dirty so that I might be made clean. And I, I'm not going to face hell, or purgatory, or whatever you want to call it, because he purged me. I don't believe in purgatory. You know, I don't mean that. I'm not going to face hell or whatever you want to call it because he purged me of my sins. That's who that baby is. What child is this? Again, seven things that the writer of Hebrews tells us. One of those is he is our Savior because he purged our sins all by himself. I've been purged from my sins through his death. It happened 2,000 years ago when he died on that cross, and it's still relevant today. This means that all efforts, and here's the thing, all efforts of self-reformation as a means of salvation are doomed to fail because it's not a, he did it all by himself. We can't. We can't. You can clean yourself up best you can. You can get dial soap. You can get uh, Irish Spring. You can do whatever you want to do. You can get uh, Sasquatch soap and, and, and <laughs> all that stuff. You can scrub, uh, you know, rub-a-dub-dub and all that stuff. You can do all that. Clean up the best you can. Still not good enough. Still not good enough. It doesn't help us merit God. It is only by his atoning death that we have been forgiven by God. And again, to add anything else to the work that Christ has done is nothing less than blasphemy. To try and add what he already did is nothing less than blasphemy. Biblical salvation means trusting in Jesus Christ completely, so completely that his death, that if his death is not enough to take us to heaven, then we're not going to get there. I mean, that's it. I mean, we have to trust in him to the point where if that wasn't sufficient, we're not going. But we know it's sufficient. Jesus died that we might be saved. That's why the angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That was the announcement. 
good tidings of great joy. What was the good tidings of great joy? Well, today in the town of David, a Savior's been born to you. Remember, the message was to all people. He is Christ the Lord. Listen, in this world of, you know, Oprah Winfrey's who say that Jesus can't possibly be the only way, where people want to water down what we believe, especially now, we've got to stand on the truth and declare it plainly. See, Jesus is not a good way to heaven, nor is he the best way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. That's it. He's not one one road among many roads. He's the only road that gets there. That's who that baby is. And number seven, what child is this? It is the child who is now seated at God's right hand. That's what he said, verse number three. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Why did he sit down when he got to heaven? Because he was finished. The work was done. I've talked through the tabernacle a number of times here, and, and, and again, one of the things I remind you is that in the tabernacle furnishings, there, was no, there were no chairs anywhere in there. Outer court, inner court, there were no chairs. Why? Because the work never stopped. The work never stopped. There was always another, another animal to slay. There was always more blood to dip and spread and sprinkle. Always more sacrifice to burn. But when Jesus did it and said it is finished, that was the last of that. And he sat down because there's nothing more needed. See, when it comes to salvation, there is no room for self-cleansing or penance or human merit. God is fully satisfied in the sacrifice that his son made. And nothing can be added to that to make it any better than what it already is. Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the God uh, of God. Why the right hand? It is the place of highest honor. It is the place of highest honor. Jesus today sits at God's right hand because it is the highest honor that God could give to his son. You know, if there were another crown, he would wear it. If there were another honor, he would have it. But the right hand of God, the Father, is the highest honor in the universe, and God gave that to his son. And that's where he is today. Jesus is at the very center of the universe. He is king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. What child is this? King of kings, Lord of lords. Even now, he reigns from heaven. Even now, he reigns over the devil. Even now, he's over chaos and disaster. Even now, he reigns over the elements of nature. He reigns over the past, the present, and the future. He reigns over cancer and heart attacks and death itself. And someday, he's going to come back and reign visibly on the throne of David. That's who that baby is. And God has given him a name. It's above every name. At the name of Jesus, Paul said, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What child is this? He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature. He is the sustainer of all things. He is our Savior, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. That's who he is. That's what child this is when we celebrate Christmas. That's his identity. That's the identity of the baby born 2,000 years ago in that manger. I read this today, and I thought, man, that's pretty cool. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. 
To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the educator, he is the master teacher. To the farmer, he is the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he is the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. But my question to you tonight and to you is who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? I love that S.M. Lockridge. That's my king. Is he your king? Is he your king? See, again, a lot of people see that baby in the manger, and he's a figurine that they put up with the rest of the Christmas decorations. We can theoretically answer who Christ is, but who is he to us right now? You know, what we believe about the babe in Bethlehem is a life and death matter with eternal implications. Because when I stand before heaven, my entrance is not going to be how good of a person I was and how how benevolent I was and how kind I was. None of that really matters. It matters, but not in, that, not in that situation. What matters is, what do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about that baby? What child is this? And if I say he's my Savior, then I can have entrance into that place that's been prepared. You know what? In just a few days, I'm closing. In just a few days, Christmas is going to be here. You know, can't believe it's, what, two weeks from Sunday? Following Christmas, we'll launch into another busy year if the Lord tarries. I, I, I just want to encourage you, before we take down the ornaments and, and uh, put away the Christmas music, pause and think about that baby. We had a, we had a couple that we were real good friends with uh, in Germany, and I've shared this with you before, but their daughter the message that they taught her for Christmas is that it was all about his birthday and that we decorate to celebrate his birthday. And so what they would do is they would put a manger under the tree. They would have the figurines of Mary and Joseph. They'd have the manger, but they would leave it empty. And they would tell her uh, when we knew them, she, uh, Heather was four. And they would tell Heather that when she got up and saw the baby Jesus in the manger, then we would all exchange gifts to each other in honor of his birthday. And that was how they taught the Christmas story to her, is that, uh, you know, and how I figured out what was going on is I asked her about Santa Claus, and she had no idea who I was talking about. She had not, I, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying don't tell, you know, we've had Santa here. I'm not saying that. I just, I'd never seen that before. And I thought, wow, what a cool way to, this is his birthday. We're doing this, all the decoration, he's the, you know, we have light, he's the light of the world, the evergreen, everlasting light. I mean, all of these things are important, and they're a great way of communicating the gospel. But we have to still answer the question, what child is this? Who is he to me during this year? I want you to stand with me tonight. I close with this story. David Frost was doing an interview on PBS with Billy Graham years ago, and uh, he asked the question um, what he wanted to be his last words that he uttered before he died. And here's what he said. Billy Graham, who had preached to millions upon millions of people, when asked what his last words he wanted them to be before he died, he said, my last words 
I want to utter is Jesus. And when they kind of pressed him on it, he said, we can't do any better than that. And I thought, wow, what a truth. Can't do any better than that. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? And if you're online tonight, I, I, I just want to ask a simple question, and we're going we're gonna to pray. Who is he to you tonight? Again, it, it's easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of our world and lose out on the fact that that baby is not just a, is not just a part of our Christmas decoration. He is life. He's the fullness of life. And maybe just in, in prayer, in pr- closing prayer tonight, you say, you know, Pastor, I want to keep Christ center of everything. The holiday season, the Christmas season, my daily life, I want him to be center of it all. Just Jesus. Because we can't do any better than that, as Billy Graham says. If you're here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. I just want to make sure I keep him center, front and center of all my life and everything going on. Write him right back down. Thank you. Thank you. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you. Lord, thank you for the revelation. Lord, you're so much more than that baby that was born and wrapped in those swaddling clothes placed in that manger years ago. Lord, you grew up to be the atoning sacrifice that enables each of us to have life and have it more abundantly. And I pray for the hands that went up tonight. I pray for those online tonight. Lord, it is so easy to be distracted by all of the hustle and bustle of our world today. But Lord, help us to keep you centered. Lord, let that be our center, Christ, the center of our lives, the center of our celebrations, Uh, Lord, the center of our day. Lord, let it be all about you, Lord, and let us utter the word Jesus because we can't do any better than that. Lord, I pray you'll go with us now. Uh, Take us from here. Give us a wonderful, restful night. And Lord, should you tarry, wake us up in the morning. Uh, Lord, put a spring in our step and a song in our heart. Lord, may we be a light that shines tomorrow or the next day in someone's darkness. And, Lord, may we represent, uh, Lord, you in a very positive manner during this holiday season. Lord, I pray that the light that has come, Lord, would just radiate from each of us as we walk uh, with that awareness of your abiding presence and power. Lord, give us a great day. I speak your blessings upon every person here and those that have tuned in online tonight. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, and we all said... Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.